Hey, this is Boki Nahbar, and this is the Details Podcast, episode number 12. Um, with me, as always, my co-host, Andrzej Tomic. What's up, Andrzej? What's up, Boki? Another English one. That's what we always say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another English one, yeah. Um, obviously, we wish we would, we would do more English episodes. Um, unfortunately, the way things work out schedule-wise, usually they, they, they don't work out. So, <laughs> so we do, we post a lot, a lot more Slovenian episodes, uh, which we've done, I think, 70 now. Um, but this is only the 12th English one. Um, either way, uh, you know, or anyways, uh, number 11 was with uh, Martin Kuban, who is, uh, a German independent researcher in the field of knee injuries. Um, I think it w- I thought it was a really uh, interesting conversation, especially with uh, f- four people who uh, who had knee problems, like yourself, Anje. Yep. And uh, it's I-, I believe it's a conversation that you can learn a lot from. Uh, Martin is one of the people that I worked with throughout my career, and he's helped me with my problems, uh, with especially with patellar tendonitis in my knee that I had uh, two seasons ago, and uh, he was one of the reasons, uh, one of the main reasons why I was able to. To uh, put that injury aside and complete, continue playing my uh, continue my my basketball career uh, at at age thirty six, which is not the youngest, Andre, but still that's still what they strong. say. That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyways, uh, before we talk about today's episode, Andre, maybe you can tell us the admin stuff. Uh, so yeah, this podcast is uh, at the detailspodcast.com. That's the website. And we're also in iTunes. So if you can leave us a review there, that'd be awesome because then more people can find the show. And that's, exactly. that was it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and today we have a basketball guest or basketball, ex-basketball player, NBA player, um, Jim Jackson, who is a retired professional uh, basketball player. He played uh, 14 years in the NBA for different teams. Uh, he was my teammate when I was with the Houston Rockets, and uh, is uh, is one of my favorite teammates that I had. Uh, I only played a year and a half with him, but uh, I learned a lot from him. He played my position. He was the veteran guy on the team, and he was the guy that I was looking up to. So, uh, you know, talking to him and reconnecting with him has been uh, on my mind for a long time, and finally we had a chance to do that. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, Jim is in LA. Uh, we're here in Europe. The connection is pretty good. So. Uh, Let's start this thing. Okay, so we have uh, Jim Jackson uh, on the line all the way over from L.A. Um, Jim, how you doing? I'm chilling, man. <laughs> chilling in L.A., cigar in mouth, watching golf on a wonderful Labor Day. So can't complain. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, not wa- we're not smoking cigars and watching golf, but let's say that we're chilling also. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we hey, 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 good. Well, Boca, I got to get over there, man. I love Spain, so I got to come see you and hang out, man, maybe before your season starts. That will be, that'll be awesome. I mean, did you did you visit Spain before or you never been over here? No, I've been to Barcelona and Madrid, man, and had a ball. It's a couple years ago, went over in September, actually. And I love mm-hmm. history. Saw so all the Gaudi Museum stuff and the architecture. I was just walking around the city, man. Yeah. Loving it and enjoying it. Yeah, Spain. Spain is Spain is beautiful, and uh, yes. it's, it's it's there's a lot of American tourists here. Not just American, but you know people from all over the place. Also here in Seville, in the side of south of Spain, uh, but all, also you know Spain is uh, as, as you know also very uh, good, as, is great basketball country. You know the Spanish national team is uh, is probably one. Of the, I mean, not probably. It is one of the best in the world. Probably right behind the the U.S. national team. Uh, for many years now, uh, the Spanish league is tough. It's it's good. It's competitive. A lot of uh, NBA guys come from Spanish league or to go through Spanish league to get to the NBA. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's definitely a lot of things to do if you would decide to come over here. Not just not just to sightsee, but also see some good basketball, which I'm sure you would enjoy. You know, are you, are you uh, gonna take me to see the Barbara Seville, man? You go you gonna take me to see <laughs> Barbara? <laughs> no problem, man. Whatever, we'll 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 find we'll find anything. We'll we'll figure it out. All um, right. But but anyways, it's so so good to talk to you. I don't even know when was the last time Jim that I talked to you. It's probably been been years now. Um, you know, it's it's been uh, 2008 was the last time I uh, I played in the NBA, and uh, after that season 2008, I decided to come back to to Europe. Um, I'm not I'm not completely sure which was your last last season. I think 2006 with the Lakers Joke was the six. last time you yeah. played. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the last time I 
I played I played against you, um, but we were also teammates. So um, that's obviously how we know each other. And uh, you know, playing for the Rockets was at least for me an incredible experience. Um, you know, having you on the team among other guys, but especially you playing in my my position and learning from you was 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 an incredible opportunity for me. And I um, I always been thankful for it. Um, the funny thing is that we also got traded at the same time <laughs> from the Rockets. <laughs> and I didn't go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I got traded to the Hornets, and then you uh, you ended up in Phoenix. Which was which was awesome uh, playing you know you playing for Mike D'Antoni and that uh, up up tempo up tempo style of, of basketball yeah um, so so that was good to see so that's just a little bit of history of how we know each other and how we uh, how we met and how we went separate ways but uh, uh, Jim please please talk to me like how did you how did you get in, into basketball I always like to ask our guests how did they get into basketball like did you grow up in an environment where basketball is very popular or was that something that you were seeking is that something that you were looking for or it just came to you naturally. You know, Boki, I think it's we were probably similar. Well, in my in my neighborhood growing up, we, we played everything. You know, back in the day you played baseball, football, um, basketball, you ran a little track, you you did a lot of different activities because everything was based outside. So we played in the park a lot, we played in the alleys, we played in people's backyards. So basketball was always around, even when I went to community centers. But I, quite honestly, though, football was my favorite sport. And I loved to play football. Football was like my favorite sport. You know, we played street football. I didn't get to organize football until I was like a freshman in high school. But I loved it. So basketball was kind of like secondary. Football was the big thing. But we would always play basketball. And I finally fell in love with the game probably after my eighth grade year, my freshman year. I mean, really fell in love with the game. But it was a byproduct, Bokey, of of playing in the neighborhood, playing against some older guys, uh, and then appreciating the game. I didn't watch a lot of basketball when I was growing up like that. I mean, I loved Magic Johnson. I loved Julius Irving when I was young. And then, of course, Michael Jordan as I got a little bit older. But I would love to watch football more than anything else, man, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can, but- I, can I ask something? This is going to sound stupid. What is street football? <laughs> street football street football is basically you play two hand tap in the street three on three four on four in the street oh, okay. um so because you can't tackle so your out of bounds is like kind of where the curbs are at if you go on top of it you're out of bounds so oh, okay. it was more restricted but it was a lot of fun because you just had guys out there playing in the middle of the street uh game of football now yeah you couldn't tackle it was more two hand tap but it was a way for us to it, it what we did more than anything else, guys, it kept us out of trouble. All we did was play. You know, mm-hmm. we, we played football. Now, we did have areas where we live that we can go and play street against street in regards to having a football team and we play on grass and you could tackle. You know what I mean? So you would travel from neighborhood to neighborhood playing against different neighborhoods. Um, you know, on grass. So that's that's just that's what we did back in the day. Yeah. Well, the reason Andrzej is asking because uh, you know, obviously, American football is not popular in Europe, so we don't no. know all these details about right. about about. You know, here we have soccer, which is like by far the the most popular sport, like by far. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then there's basketball and other sports. Um, but but you know, when so I, I completely understand Andrzej when you said street football. <laughs> what is that? You know. And, and I imagine that it's something that, you know, you can't really tackle guys. Guys really get hurt if you tackle them on concrete. Oh, no, you'll get them <laughs> coming in the street. You can't do it. I mean, now, you can get hurt because you, you might have cars that are parked on the street. So you got to figure out how to get around the car and do some things. But we'll try to be in a place where we didn't have a lot of stuff on the street. But a lot of times you just you're in the neighborhood. So if you wanted to play and couldn't go to the park, you had to figure out ways to play on the street. But it was a lot of fun. I mean. For kids, when we were eight, nine, ten years old, eleven, twelve, just to, to to have fun and be outside, I think that's what a lot of the kids miss today. Is especially in America, is not being outside to play. The beautiful thing about European football is that you're outside. You go out and play. You know what I mean? You yeah, can get a group yeah. of guys together and just go play. In America, that has been lost. You know, out touch football in the street, uh, playground basketball. A lot of those things have been lost, man, because now it's too too organized. Guys just want to go into the gym and play. You don't have the same kind of things that we used to do in regards to just playing ball outside. It's more inside now. 
Yeah, but I, I think I think is is there's the same problem in Europe also. Like obviously not when it comes to to soccer or you know football as you call it because it's uh, yeah. it's uh, it, it is an outside sport. But when it comes to basketball, I see there's 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 less kids outside playing basketball than than there were you know. 10 20 years ago when i was growing up right. like, all the courts were full of kids just playing now that's not the case and and we talked about this on the podcast before i'm sure jim you talked to other people about it like whether it's that the, the internet the video gaming that's more attractive yeah. to kids now whatever it is you know facebook all that but it's, it's it's changing for sure you know because back in the day uh you know for us it was school and then after school you were on the court playing basketball until the the sunset you know now i think that that has changed not not only in, in the states but also in the other parts of the world you know well, you know, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy to hear, too. And I think the problem, too, Bulky, is that a lot of these kids, as you know, they're probably more worldly and more intelligent just because they see more, get more. They download more information at a younger age. You know what I mean? They're exposed a lot more. But what you don't have is their social skills suffer. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they're not having face to face conversations. They're not interacting you know, outside in big groups like we used to, you know, exactly. and, it, exactly. you, and you you lose, I think, a, a certain part of the communication aspect of these these kids when they get in these social environments, they're not as comfortable because they're not used to interacting, you know, with each other on a, in the big groups or doing stuff like this on a daily basis because they are, you know, texting somebody or emailing somebody or, or yep. liking a post or on online instead of a face-to-face, let me look you in the eye, see your body language, laugh. You're not missing that. So it's a catch-22. Technology has opened up the door for a lot of things, but it's closed it in some aspect in regards to, I think, the kids' communication um, aspect of it. Yeah, and, and funny that you mentioned that because, uh, you know, the coach that I – the team that I play for here in Seville, we have, a you know, I think a really good coach that uh, – uh, you know, he played in the NBA. Maybe you remember him, Jean Tabak. He played for the Houston Rockets, mm-hmm. the Toronto Raptors. Mm-hmm. He's, he's my coach here yep. now. And he said, he said to all the young guys that we have on the team that are 19, 20 year old kids, he's telling them, he, he, he calls them WhatsApp generation because he says, <laughs> instead, of, instead of calling a switch on defense, he, he gets mad when they don't communicate. He's like, why don't you just send him a WhatsApp text and ask him to switch, you know, because he's like <laughs> so upset. And, and, and I do understand because, for example, when now, if I compare it now and, you know, 20, let's say 15 years ago when I was, you know, starting my professional career, when I would come to right. the locker room after the practice or after the game, especially after practice when there's the atmosphere is more relaxed, you'd have all the, all the teammates in the locker room joking around, talking and, and all that. Now it's quiet and everybody's just looking at their phones. Yeah. And I, I yep. really don't like that. You know, for them, I know it's different. That's how they grew up and that's what they used to. But for me, I absolutely hate it, you know? So sometimes I come into the locker room, I see all these, all these kids on their phones. I'm like, glad you, glad to see you guys communicating. You know, I'm like, kind of get mad a little bit at them because it's, 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 it is so different. Um, Jim, um, so after, after high school, um, you know, obviously college career was, was, was big for you playing for Ohio state, you know, Buckeyes, well-known yeah. college. Um, uh, so, so that's where your, your, let's say your career, not professional career yet, but your career really like lifted off. Like, you know, you always had a great, great uh, college career and, and got drafted real high. Um, how, how important was to pick the right college, to go to the right college, play for the Buckeyes and, and have a great college career? Bulky, it was, you know, and back then you didn't have a lot of guys coming out of high school. Sean Kemp did it um, before me. He was a year ahead of me. He did it. So you didn't have a lot of guys, you know, coming out of college, going right to the pro. You play I mean, all coming out years, of high right? school. You play all I played three. I, I played. I played three years, and most of the time, most guys stayed at least two. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't like a lot of freshmen came out. Um, it usually, it was two years. But for me, choosing Ohio State is funny. I never wanted to go there. My, my, really, my top five schools were North Carolina, was Syracuse, North Carolina, Georgetown, Ohio State, Michigan. Because at that time, I was a huge Big East basketball fan. You know, John Thompson, the Hoyas, and Derek Coleman, and Pearl Wall, all these people in the Big East, and Patrick Ewan. I, I just, St. John's, I love the Big East. But a, a good friend of mine said, Jim, you can go to those schools all you want, but the alumni base, being from Ohio, the legacy would be there, especially if you become successful. And then at that time, Gary Williams, who went on to coach at Maryland, won a national championship. He was a coach at Ohio State. So he was changing the dynamics of Ohio State basketball was getting more excited. You know, he was going to get big recruits. And I said, well, heck, I can be a part of something special. 
um, and, and grow the program. And that's what happened. And that's why I ultimately chose to go to Ohio State, which probably, honestly, both was probably the best decision I ever made because we won a lot. We put Ohio State basketball back on the map. Uh, I was from Ohio, and it's a legacy that a lot of people go back to during that time period that was a great kind of resurgence for Ohio State, and I was fortunate to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And, and you have your jersey retired, right? At the, yeah, I, fig- the- I, figured they had, they, I figured they had to cover up some stuff up there in the bin, <laughs> up, <laughs> up, up top, so they put my jersey up there to cover up stuff. That's why it's up there. But no, I got to retire, um, <laughs> and that's because I had some great teammates, man. I mean yeah. – yeah. The coaching staff, they allowed me to play the game the way I needed to play it. If it wasn't for them, and again, you know, it's very easy. Both you've been around it. You know, guys could be yeah. jealous, guys could yeah. be envious. But, you know, we didn't have that. And that's why that's why we're very close. A lot of my teammates, uh, we're very close today because we supported each other. And, you know, you know, guys are going to have their stuff. But at the end of the day, we all supported each other. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I never played college basketball, but all the people, you know, all the players that I know that did, whether they were American, European, they all have in- incredible uh, memories of, of playing college basketball. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a unique mm-hmm. experience, you know, being it a young, young kid it's, it's and playing. It's unique, both because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. young, you're trying to figure it out, you you know, uh, you're being exposed to, to to different kind of cultures on camp, college campus. A lot of us may come from a smaller city. Um, you get to compete at a high level, but more importantly, you grow, you mature. And sometimes, you know, guys who don't experience college for a number of years, um, you lose that. They're all, you know, there's special guys like Kobe and Garnett and, yeah. you know, LeBron James, those guys that come out and just, you know, Yeah, but there's also been there's also been examples where the kids did come out early and they didn't work out for them. And if they went to college, it probably would work out much better for them, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they, they chose a path that for them they thought at the time was, was uh, you know, perfect. But here's the thing. A, a lot of it, too, Boak, is not how you're going to fit in basketball-wise. You know this by being around by seeing a young player. It's how do you fit in mentally, you know, when things are not going well, when things are tough because you haven't really been through that before. Now you're on a professional level and you haven't gone through it in college, kind of the ups and downs of disappointments. You know, the growth and maturity. Now you're learning on the fly as a young player. And a lot of those guys, to be honest with you, couldn't handle it. Not that they weren't skilled enough, but sometimes mentally they weren't prepared enough to endure, as you know, both an 82-game season, the grind. And especially sometimes if you're not playing well, how do you handle it? And then being 18 and 19 sometimes, they just don't know. Well, well, the biggest um, now that I look back at it, and, and and you know, different teammates I had through the uh, through the years that I was in the NBA, and the, the, the guys that had they were very talented and and came into the league. I'm not talking about like top topics, but even the guys that were like late late first round or second rounders that I, I think, in my opinion, they could still make it. A lot of times, I saw that they just got satisfied, like they were in the league and they thought they already made it. You know, and that's like I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a young player that you think that you already made it. I think once you get into the NBA, that's where the, all the work starts. Not what that's not that's not the like the end of the, the road. You know, that's what that's where all the work starts. It's just an opportunity that's been given to you and it's up to you to take advantage of it of it or not. And I've seen this, you know, with, with many different players that they just they just um I don't know what else to call it, and then I would call it become late became lazy, you know, didn't work as hard, didn't were not committed, and two years later they were out of the league, you know. And it's a it's a shame. Um, and and you know th- that's why also in my opinion, like being in college for in the right program for at least two years, you know, it's it's extremely important for a person to grow and to realize what's important when it comes to dedicating yourself to a basketball career. Um, now, is, and, that, is that what you tell the young fellas you got there that are yeah, there with you? Yeah, I mean, for Europeans, it, it is different because um, yeah. we don't have we don't have colleges here. I mean, we do have colleges, but we don't have college basketball here. So for us, for our young guys that are 19, 20 years old, they joined the pro team already here. Um, so they, whether that's better or worse, I don't know, it's, it's different, but it's definitely good because they see already as, at a young age how to, how, how, what it needs to be done to be successful as a pro so they can learn quicker. That's why I think you see in a lot of European players who come over to the States that they are more mature. At least so that's what people, yeah, coaches yeah, say. Because, because they've done the pro life for a year or two or three already by the time they get to the NBA. Um, you know, the, the bad thing about it is that in Europe, in a lot of cases, a lot of 
a lot of situations you have to decide whether you want to go to college or you want to pursue a basketball career, you know, and that's not good because in the States, I think it at least gives you a chance to do both. You yeah. decide to go college and play. Um, but, but, you know, as far as the guys that do end up making it to NBA, I think they do have advantage because they, they're more seasoned, you know, because they, 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 they've been through this pro program, uh, already. Um, how, how, how was it for you, the transition from college to the NBA and getting drafted, you know, number four by Dallas Mavericks? Um, uh, how was that transition? How do you look back at it now? And, uh, how were those, those first, first few years in the NBA for you? Well, two things. One, I mean, being drafted high was, I mean, awesome. Think about it. It was Shaquille O'Neal was first, mm-hmm. Alonzo Mourning, then it was Christian Lehner, then it was me. Yeah. But unfortunately, both I had a holdout my rookie year. See, because okay. the Mavericks didn't want to pay me what the fourth pick was worth. So I ended up holding out until, you know, mid-February almost. Mm-hmm. So I only oh. played 28 games my rookie year. So, But I had to, I had to do it. You know, ironically, because um, if I didn't stand my ground at that time and get the contract that I deserved in regards to my market value, okay, because mm-hmm. I was slotted in to the fourth pick, okay, you're going to get six years and X amount of right. dollars, you know? Right. And I, I stayed and I fought, and I took a lot of criticism for it, you know, because I held out. Um, but it all worked out, but I missed my rookie year. Okay, basically, I missed my rookie year. Now, at that time, Bo, I'm going to be honest with you, the Mavericks, we were terrible. I mean, when I got in finally um, in February, the Mavericks only had won four games at that point. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You're talking about, I mean, and it was rough. And then we ended up winning 11 games. We're, you know, I, w- I was 7 to 21, the 28 games I was there. Then the following year, Jamal came in. And we only won 13 games that year. So the first two years, you know, you're excited. You're ready to go. You're in the league. Now I'm playing against, you know, back then you think about who was all playing the teams that were great. And some of the top 50 players, Dominique, you're playing against uh, Michael, Scotty, all the Seattle teams, the guys from Portland, Drexler. You're playing against Barkley in in Phoenix. You're playing against... You know, the Indiana teams with Reggie Miller and Rick Smith. I mean, you just playing against some of the Patrick Ewing and Elijah. I mean, it's crazy. We just weren't talented. So it was tough. You're talking about a young player, players trying to figure it out, and you only win in maybe a game or two a month. Man, that's hard. That's tough. You know, tough, yeah. so yeah. I've been through, you know, the holdout, the losing. You know what I mean? It was hard at the beginning. And the hardest thing to do, Vogue, is not to develop bad habits because you're losing. It's so easy to kind of say, I'm going to go for mine and we're losing. But that's when the discipline got to come in and gotta, you got you, you, you to have some veterans that can help you through it. And fortunately, uh, I was able to have a few that guided me through that tough process. But it was tough at the beginning, man. Yeah, for sure. No, that, 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 did, that had to be tough. You know, I... Uh uh, I can only imagine. You know, once I got traded from Houston to um, to New Orleans, that that year the New Orleans was really bad too. Not, yes. And I, I kind of and I kind of kind of know like, it was good for me personally because I played a lot and I was able to like establish myself finally. But but as far as like winning and and all that, it was terrible. Not until the next year when we got Chris Paul and things got better. But um, but but it is interesting to that you you were mentioning all these names before from Michael Jordan to Charles Barkley. Like the '90s for me now that I look back at it, we're like by far the best like <laughs> the best basketball era like if i if i look at, at at all the different eras you know i i i grew up in the 90 i mean i was a teenager in the 90s that's where i started following right. nba basketball uh went through all this the phase of watching the bulls and watching the rockets win in the mm-hmm. 90s and, and and magic johnson before that with the lakers and so on and so on. that's where i like really fell in love with nba basketball and uh you know how, how was how how were the 90s like now that you look at back at the 90s like for me it was like a romantic time of basketball like, you know? <laughs> yeah. like i really that's a good do, word. I like yeah that. i really i really do i really do think, think think when i look back at it i really that's the word that comes up to me come up comes up and uh how, how was it playing back then like especially compared to the nba now you know because now the nba is so global and people from all over the world, world follow it, and they can see yeah. it live on their computers, uh, you know, phones, whatever. Uh, back then, it was different. And, and how did you, uh, how did you, uh, how, how was the whole experience like playing the, in the NBA in the nineties? It was a different time, you know. 
Oh no, but it was it was a totally different game. And now keep in mind, you had bad teams back then too. Okay, it's not like every team was just like dominant or playing well. But you just had it was a different kind of game because it was more physical. The three point line wasn't as prevalent. You didn't park behind it. You weren't shooting, you know, fifty threes a game. It was built around post players, two guards, um, the ability to get the ball in the paint and play tough defense. Okay. But the difference too, Bulky, is that you had what I consider grown men. When I came in the league, I, I, probably the average age was 28, 29 maybe, somewhere in there. So you were playing against established veterans as a rookie. Okay, not now you're playing against guys that if you're 19, well, you're playing against most of your stars are 21, 22, 23 years old. You know what I mean? The bulk of the league. Mm-hmm. And so the game was different. The coaching style was different. The physical nature of the game was totally different. Hey, if you were a guard and you ran through the lane and you wanted to go set a pick on Patrick Ewing, right, across mm-hmm. street, uh, he was taught to put an elbow right in your chest, you know, or <laughs> right in your neck. Now if yeah. you do that, it's a flagrant foul. But, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Th- at that time it was different. And the mentality of the players were a lot different from a professional perspective on how to play the game and how to do things. And plus – they think about it, both. We didn't have social media back then either, right? You know, which 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 is which is huge because hey, to be honest with you, a lot of stuff we did if we had did it with social media, woo, we'd have some <laughs> stories, we might have had some good stories out there. Yeah, but it yeah, was just, yeah. it was a different time, a different era, um, and I look back at it as I, I, it was a pleasure for me to play in that time. But I'm gonna say this: the game had to change in some aspect. So I'm not one of those guys who, oh, you know, the 90s was so much better and you needed to stay like this. No, the game had to evolve a little bit more to be more acceptable internationally. So I think they did a really good job of doing that. Uh, It's just two different eras of basketball. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do, and and that, that was kind of like my next question. Question, but you answered it in in part already, like because I thought you're gonna be just just like you said, like one of those retired players who are like dissatisfied with the with the game being too soft nowadays and being so much quote unquote better in the '90s, you know, and tougher and all that. But I completely agree with you. Like the game had to evolve, and game is gonna keep evolving because that's just the natural course of like the game getting better, faster, uh, whatever. And, and like you said, like you know, even more appealing to like international audience, maybe you know. And, right. Uh, and uh, it's, it's definitely that your perspective is like maybe different than a lot of other retired players who I you know whether see on online or see on TV or whatever, where they keep saying how much tougher the game was in the '90s, <laughs> and how it's better that it should be like that again. That now every Touch foul is, a, a, you know, a small contact is called a foul, and so on and so on. But, 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 Jim, if you would have to change some rules um, in in today's <laughs> today's NBA, would there be something that you would like to change, or do you like the game as it is now? Well, I mean, some of the touch foul rules, you know, the impeding of the progress is a little bit tougher to control and manage, just because of um, guys, you know, want to be able to play tough defense, but a lot of times you can't because if you touch someone 20 feet away, 25 feet away with the hand check rule at times or the impede in progress, you're not able to play defense. So you get penalized, I think, a lot of times against some of the better players because you can't play defense in a certain way. Um, I I like the adjustments in regards to – I love the speed and pace of the game. Um, and, I, and it puts a tough onus on a lot of officials who kind of want to let players play, but they know they're getting graded too. Um, if yeah. I had to change anything, um, it would be that. Um, maybe also, you know, you talk about you know the hack and shack rule and stuff like that, and what they're going on. They're going to change that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think it's a great strategy. You know, hey, it's his fault if he can't make free throws. At the same time, it slows down the pace of the game. So. The, that's going to be interesting to see what happens with that because more coaches employed that. But but really, it's only for a small segment of the NBA. It's like three or four players that you're really going to do that to. But it impacts the game. But I mean, I like I like where the game is going in regards to it's up tempo. Um, fans really enjoy it. Players love to play that way. Think about it, but if we played, we played. A, I played a little bit like that in Phoenix. I played like that in Sacramento. And it's a different kind of game. It, yeah. It's a lot, you know, more conducive to. Getting out and run. Now you don't have centers, 
you know, most of your guys are smaller, so uh, you don't have post-up play anymore, and which I think will come back around. But I, 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 I think the game has to evolve. And uh, Adam Silver and the rest of the league are doing a really good job of, uh, of of utilizing a lot of the athleticism and talent that's out there with these young players. Yeah, I agree 100%. And uh, you mentioned the Phoenix Suns, but especially Sacramento Kings, which, you know, for a lot of, uh, you know, European fans like myself, the fans of basketball, especially in that era, like growing up where, where the Kings were like a European team, especially because yeah. of Vlade and, and Peja, you know. Yeah. So we all followed the Kings, right, Angel? Like it was yep. like our favorite team. Uh, yep. And you were on Hito. that. You were on, Hito. Yeah. Hito, Hito, exactly. Hito, yep. exactly. Like you were on that team uh, for a year. How fun was it to play that kind of style of basketball? I mean, you know, looking at it now, like the way it was like passing the ball, a lot of cuts, you know, having all shooters around Divac being kind of like a point center, you know, yep. Uh, yep. you know, First whether it was J- Jason Williams and then later on Mike Bibby, both point guards did a good job there. Um, you know, how, how fun was it to play in that kind of system? And, 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 and what did you, what did you, what did you get from it? Like, how did you enjoy that? Well, you, you think about it. Our team was kind of like the Golden State Warriors, except we were bigger because of Vladi and Chris. I mean, Draymond Green was basically like Chris Webber. Chris was just bigger. You know, a guy that could shoot, could pass, could handle the ball. Draymond's a better defensive player because he can guard more positions. But you think about our team with Mike Bibby, Jackson, Hedo, Bobby Jackson, Hedo, Turkaloo. You're talking about Pedro Swagovic, Doug Christie, guys that could shoot, that could pass, that could handle. So we played that up-tempo style. Plus, you have Vladi, who was just a straight clown. He's a comedian. <laughs> He's a, I love Vladi to death. But he, his ability to pass the basketball from the high post, you know what I mean, to yeah. see the defense and score inside, it was it, – it, to be honest with you, the game was fun. But, you know, more importantly, Boki, it, it, I fell back in love with the game of basketball because I had great teammates. Scott Pollard was on the team. Damon Jones, Mateen Cleese. You know, we had Keon Clark. We had some great guys. We we hung. You know this. It's hard for eight or nine people from the same team to hang out, right? Yes. At, yeah. at one time. But yeah. that's what we did. We we hung out together. We would go to, that's, you know, Oakland that, Raider games together. Yeah, that's extremely important. Like the king yes. chemistry. I think if you have that, you're like already one step ahead, especially in the NBA when there's so much talent. I think that's extremely important. And yep. and 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 my memory is like playing against the Kings the year the year that you were there, but even the la- the later, you know, the year after that we were the teammates and, and that like it was always tough to play because it was so hard to tactically prepare yourself for these like you said put divas on the high post then have you know guy in the corner the point guard passes to divas he comes to the corner <laughs> that's the screen pager comes off you know like <laughs> you don't know if he's gonna shoot or cut it was it was extremely yep. hard to guard like for me it was one of the toughest teams and toughest players like when it comes to pager to guard in like my career people always ask me like oh you played in nba how was it to guard kobe and guard you know this guy and that guy which are all amazing players and it's Extremely tough, almost impossible to guard. But my my answer is always like the toughest was Pedro. It, it really was well, for me. Pedro, it, yeah, because Pedro was always moving. Always moving. Yeah. Yeah, moving. you could you could never sleep with a guy like Pedro. And plus, people didn't realize how big Pedro was. Yeah. I mean, because exactly. he had kind of like sh- a short torso, but he was still six eight, six nine, and he weighed about two forty. You know what I mean? And people, <laughs> he was big. Yeah. You know, did, did, didn't realize how big Pedro was, and um. Well, maybe maybe not 240, but maybe 235, 230. But, and he always moved. He was intelligent, and he had such a quick release on a shot that you notice, Bo, if you're a half a second late, you're paying yeah. attention to the backside yeah. action, and then go pages. <laughs> so, trust so. me, it was tough for me to guard him. Um, but I had the pleasure of guarding him in practice at times and then, you know, of course, in the game. But I hated guarding guys like him, guarding guys like Reggie, Reggie Miller, uh, uh, Dale Curry, um, guys that were all uh, Ray Allen, guys that were always moving were to me always the tougher guys to guard. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And uh, you know, we 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 just mentioned like we just said how, how important it is to have a you know good team chemistry. But um, you know, from your experience, like you play for a lot of NBA teams and been on, yep. you know, on successful teams, winning teams, and, and losing teams, and. And now that you look back, like, which for you are the most important things inside the, the team, like inside the locker room, inside the team? Like as far as, okay, you said team chemistry, but also like all mm-hmm. the other factors, like what has to be, you know, what, what as, like if you would be a GM or if you'd be a coach, if you'd be a guy running the team, like what would it be the things that you would be looking for to try to put into a team to say, we need these things in order to become a successful winning team? 
Hey, a couple of different things. One, you have to have great management. I mean, it's a reason why San Antonio is always in the mix. They may not win it every year, but the dynamics of that management and how that organization works, the consistency. You know, Tim Duncan, since he came in in 97, every year in the playoffs. Come on, man. I mean, it starts, it starts from up top. And, you know, and Boki, we saw this when we were in Houston. We didn't have the best chemistry. Mm-hmm. Not that we weren't, the, you know, as talented yeah, yeah, as anybody yeah, yeah. out there. But we, yeah. I, I don't think from a management perspective, had that. Okay, and I love Jeff to death because Jeff, to me, was one of the best coaches I played for. Yeah, me too. Me so, too. So, so, so that's important. Also, too, you got to have the right kind of leaders on the team. And everybody, and sometimes your best player is not your best leader. You know, and you got to have somebody that's going to be able to have the voice of the team that people respect. That's just not going to talk about it, but that's going to do it. And if you have that, you're able to follow that person. And again, everybody, you got to have people that understand how to play their roles. You know what I mean? Everybody can't be the score. Everybody can't be the leading score. Everybody can't shoot all the time. If you have a team that understands like Golden State, what made Golden State so tough was that, especially in their second unit, was guys didn't come in trying to be Steph. They knew who Steph was. They knew who Clay is. Everybody played their position and played their role, and that's why they were so tough to beat. You know, they didn't go outside of that. So if you can combine that with guys that are willing to work their butts off, play their position, you have good chemistry, and you have outstanding management, now you got a chance to be competitive every year. That doesn't guarantee that you're going to get to a championship and win it, but I damn sure guarantee you got a chance to get there and be competitive. Yeah, and I, I wrote down one thing you said. The, the thing you said, your best player can be your best leader. I think that's that's an awesome quote. Uh, I never, yeah, you never, he, he, I, you know, I never put it together like that. And that's something that I'll definitely remember. I think it's an awesome quote. Uh, well, you, you you think about it. I, I mean, you know, you played on a couple of teams. Sometimes your best player is not the guy that you need to be the voice because. They may be the most talented player, but mm-hmm. they may not do all the little things that's necessary to win. LeBron James, come on, bro. <laughs> you know he's, he's the best player, but he demands so much of himself, and he holds himself accountable, so his teammates are able to hold him, hold him accountable. But he's going to be a prime example of what you need to do as a leader. And that's why you go to a Miami and you turn it around, even though Dwayne was there. That's why you come back to Cleveland and you're able to go to back-to-back finals and you win it because right. of that person. And it's not too many. Kobe, as great as Kobe was, was he actually your best leader? I think more, it was probably Derek Fisher at the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? On on mm-hmm. the Laker team. Yeah. yeah, but I think I think as a, as a, as a superstar, as a superstar level player, like you also have to be unselfish enough to kind of give way to a guy that might be a better leader, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that's what Kobe did too with uh, Derek Fisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 very interesting, and and like we said, like you you played on on a lot of different teams and a lot of with a lot of different players for a lot of different coaches, coaches, coaches. Jim, if you have to choose, what was your favorite team, your favorite coach, and your favorite teammate throughout your career? Would you, would, wow. is that a, is that a tough question? Probably no, no, no. It, you know, I played with so many great players, though. Well, I mean, <laughs> from from a young J kid, Jamal Mashburn, to an Allen Iverson, to a Kobe Bryant, to a Steve Nash. You know what I mean? To Dikembe Mutombo, to Alonzo Mourning. I played with some of the best players that are going to be in the Hall of Fame eventually. Um, Tracy McGrady was a great mm-hmm. player. You know what I mean? It's just all of them were different. Kobe was a straight assassin. Um, Allen Iverson, no matter what, hurt, tired, never stopped playing. You know what I mean? Would never miss a game. So it's kind of he, he might have missed what, practice. Practice. Well, you know what though? <laughs> it's funny though. When I was there, he never missed practice like that. Really? He, I mean, you know what I mean? He, no. Yeah. He what? You know what I'm saying? So, and Steve Nash had his own way. I love Steve to death because of one, the person I just a great guy, and just he had me amazed at times just watching him play. And I'm on the court with him. I'm like, oh shit, I got to get my shit together. Steve is out here. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. That's a hard question for me to answer because I've had so many great teammates. But team-wise, probably a split between Sacramento and Phoenix because those teams were very similar in the way we played and the teammates I had. And coaching-wise, I would have to say 
Pat Riley, and I'd say it from this perspective, he held everybody accountable. You know how it is both. You got a coach and you got players, and they're afraid to say some things to people, oh, yeah. hold them accountable. And, and Pat Riley ain't like that. I mean, he will go at Alonzo just like he, he would go at the 15th man on the team. Mm-hmm. He expects you to be professional. You come play defense. You come do your job. Then you'll be cool. If you don't, we're going to have a problem. And he, you know, expressed that. He, he hated to lose. But when you did things the right way, he treated you the right way. He treated you like a grown man. And he expected you to give that back in your effort each and every day to come and be a professional. And I think that's something a lot of young guys need to learn when they come in is how to be a professional in the league. And Pat, no one was better than Pat Riley at that. Yeah, and I mean, no wonder that he's been one of the most successful coaches for years. I mean, not he's not coaching anymore, but still, like, what it seems like he's uh, the way the way he's respected around the league is probably also, or maybe mostly because of what you just described. You know, um, now he's he's tough. He's tough to play for now. Don't get yeah, me wrong. You yeah, know, yeah. Jeff was a disciple. Jeff wasn't as Jeff had a little bit more personality. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Jeff had that funny sense of humor like you hear him now when he's yeah, doing yeah, games. Yeah. You I, know, love, I, love, I love Jeff. I love Jeff as a comment. I think he's my favorite. He's by far my oh, favorite. Oh, man. And Jeff drank. Bokey, how many diet coats did Jeff go through, man? I mean, yeah. from the beginning of practice all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 awesome. He's a, he was a tough coach. Like um, like I said before, like when we talked on, on this podcast, like Jeff, for me, Jeff was a, he was a coach that I did, I did not play a lot. For Jeff, like it was my second year that he took over the Rockets, and 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 you know I played some, and I had you know towards my second year I had a bigger role and had a bigger role in the playoffs when we played against the Lakers in the first round, and yeah. and so on and so on. So, but the thing the thing is that he taught me so much in the year and a half that I was with him, so much, and I, and I didn't realize that until later on in my career, yeah. when when some of the things that I did, for example, with Byron Scott who was coach with New Orleans Hornets, or 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 Lawrence Frank who was with the. Um, uh, with the New Jersey Nets, like some of the things that they were trying to teach that I already knew because I was with Jeff and he yep. helped me get bigger role and have, you know, more minutes on the court and help my career because of that. So, um, I've always been thankful to Jeff, even though like I did maybe did not play a lot and I got traded later on, which was ended up being better for me and so on and so on. But still, like I, he's, he's been, he's been, he's been amazing. And there's, there's some talk that he might come back to coaching. What, what is, what is your opinion on that? Maybe, I mean, obviously, uh, this you know what? I don't, I don't know, Bo. I don't, I don't know of Jeff because I think with Jeff and it's 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 how do you balance family and coaching? I think Jeff had a hard time of that uh, when his daughter was young, um, spending the time because he was such a gym rat in regards to being at the office and being watching film and staying late. I think he values that time with his family a lot more now. And I think that's why. And he loves he, he's just also I love listening to Jeff and, and Mark. Uh, yeah, together, they're the best. They're the best. you know, and I, and I think he's enjoying that part of his career because he can go do his game a couple of days a week and be done. With it. You know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and not to dedicate the same time. I mean, he probably has the itch, but I think right now his family. And I'm just speaking from what I've heard and talked to him yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. Maybe that the family aspect I think prevents him from really diving back in uh, to take on another head coaching job. But you never know. Yeah, you never know. And, and but the coaching is not something that you. Uh, you, you ever thought in going to? Oh, or, hell or is no. It? <laughs> that was an answer. That we are very similar. Like, people ask me if I want to coach after my career, and my answer is pretty similar to what you just said. So. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, but you, got, you know how much time you got to get. Now, I love to teach the game, and I think I could be a, a great asset and a great coach in the right situation. But the time you got to dedicate to it, I just I just enjoy my free I enjoy doing other stuff. I enjoy my free time in the summer. I enjoy to travel. I enjoy doing different business stuff. I enjoy doing the commentator. With coaching, it's not as bad in NBA as it is in college. College is just like the worst. I mean, in regards to, you know, recruiting and dealing with AU and dealing with parents and dealing with the uh, you know, the the school and the alumni. That is just crazy. I don't know how college coaches do it, but in the NBA you got a little bit more time, but still it's a it's a it's a time demanding kind of thing, and I've never been one to say I, what I really want to dedicate myself to that completely. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, but doing doing TV was probably it's probably been fun, right? Like, uh, oh, it's been awesome, man. You, you you mostly do if you mostly do college basketball, correct? Or only yeah. college basketball, right? Oh, I, I do college live. I'll I'll cover our NBA coverage with Fox, no okay. in studio. Yeah, because we don't actually have games on our big network, right? Um, but you know, watching it gives you a good balance. You know, I was able to cover my son for four years when he played. I know at Wisconsin. that. I know. Yeah, yeah. How how was that? How was that experience to like cover to you know you know commentate or analyze games of your son? Like that's got to be. And, an and, well, it was experience. crazy. It was crazy <laughs> because when he was a sophomore, once he began to start, they took me off of his game. They wouldn't let me cover, so I, I could only <laughs> talk about it really in studio, which was okay. You know what I mean? I would love to have done at least one of my game son's games when he was really starting and playing, but to watch him grow for four years. To be there for the two Final Fours in the national championship game to cover all of that, it, it was. I mean, you couldn't have scripted it even any better because I retired. He started his freshman year in high school. I started working for the Big Ten Network. He went to Wisconsin, which is in the Big Ten, so I got to cover. So that was, I mean, it, in itself, well worth it. You know what I mean? It was a lot yeah. of fun to yeah. watch him play and grow. Like I can, I can only imagine. And uh, you know, since you're mentioning your son, like for for the end, I want to ask you. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of basketball players, uh, you know, basketball fans and basketball players, probably young basketball players listening to this conversation. Like, how what, what would be your advice for like a young basketball player, like guy trying to make it, whether it's make it in Europe, whether it's make it to the NBA. You know, what are the most important things that young players should should keep in mind when they when they when it comes to deciding that they want to dedicate their their young life to to the game of basketball. Well, depending on where you're at in the stage, if you're still in high school, you got to understand how to play the game. Be as versatile as possible, not just athletic, not just a shooter. Today's game is about versatility, being able to do a lot of different things. And your value on a team is not solely based on if you can put the ball in the basket. I think a lot of guys get caught up into that. Now, guys that are trying to transition from college and get into the NBA, my thing is, The dream and goal is the NBA, right? Everybody wants to get there. But, you know, it's only 400-some-odd jobs, okay? It's different ways to get there. Maybe your path is not in the draft. Maybe it's not in the D-League. You know it. Maybe It may be overseas for a year. Then you come back, hone your game. You can't be dismayed by not getting drafted early on, but you can't also put – all your eggs in one basket and saying, well, the D-League is the way or I got to try to get a uh, free agent look if I don't have it. It's ways you can get into the NBA and pursue your dream. Or if not, you can still have a great career like you're having right now, Boki, playing for a number of years professionally overseas. You got for Americans to go overseas and play. Think about how that opens you up from a perspective of enlightenment in regards to living in a different country. I mean, growing as a man, not, a, not let alone playing in a really good league and making money. So right. there's more than one way to skin the cat. You know, it, it maybe the NBA is not there, but that doesn't mean you can't pursue your dream professionally. But what I would say is, one, you, you have to understand the dynamics of the game and that it's a numbers game. And if you can understand that and understand what your value is, I see a lot of guys go play in the summer league and all they want to do is score. They don't understand that a lot of these teams got scores already. Figure yeah. <laughs> out what they need on that team and figure the best way to give it to them. And then maybe that way you can carve out your own little niche, whether that's playing defense, rebounding, uh, not turning the ball over, being the leader. Maybe that's your way to get in. Because once you get in, now maybe you can start to look at other aspects of how you can benefit. But you got to figure out what that team needs from or what they're missing and how to give it to them. Yeah, and, and I was I was in Vegas this summer for the MBPA Leadership Development Program, which is like a program for, where um, you know the MBPA is is uh, is offering uh, you know ex NBA players a chance to talk to GMs, uh, you know team GMs, GMs, coaches, um, scouts, uh, presidents of the team, so on, to like teach you about the front office work. Yeah, and I, I was I always knew like NBA is detailed and they have a lot of scouts and they do a lot of reports on players. But we're talking to these people. I had no idea how much into detail they go about every single player, about, 
you know, uh, you know what they do, how they work out, where they're from, like how dedicated they are, and not just for college players, but for players all over the world. Right. So, so like you said, like even if it means that you might be somewhere in 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 some European country playing basketball right now and being sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old kid, you know, it, it's it, it's 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 worth dedicating your the hard work to it and and putting it all because you never know when you can get noticed. With NBA having so much, so many people all around the world, it's like a network right now. Like every single yep. gym seems to be covered by some NBA team or some NBA scout is there. So it's it's rarely happens that some player is really overlooked that that has talent to make it an NBA. Um, Jim, I, I really can't thank you enough for your, for your time. This was like an awesome, awesome conversation. Like, I'm so happy we got to like, uh, we got back in touch after many years and, uh, uh had a chance to talk to you. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I wish I did more of that when we were teammates. <laughs> the time, the time flew by so fast, the, 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 the time that we were playing together. But, uh, um, anytime you do decide to come over to Europe, like you have my contact. So please reach out. I'll, I'll be more than happy to take, take, take you around and, and show you show you different places. Um, really, thanks so much for your time. Hey, listen, Bo, it's, it's been a pleasure, brother. Our time was short in Houston, but it was fun. Uh, I'm so proud of you that you've been able to extend your basketball playing career and you're, you're enjoying it. You're having a good time. You know what I mean? A lot of yeah, people can be yeah. frustrated from not playing in the NBA, but you've never been like that anyway. Even when you weren't playing, you had a real positive attitude. That's why you've been able to play and you're going to have much more success on the back end. I, I know you're passionate um, uh, to work with kids and do stuff over there. So that's going to work for you, bro. I'll be following you. And later on in the season, let's get back together and talk some. For sure. Today. For sure. For sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be in touch. We should do that. All right, brother. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. We'll be in touch, Jim. Thank you. Yep. Bye. All right. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. So this was a conversation with uh, Jim Jackson. Hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. Um, it was definitely a, a super fun to reconnect with with Jim. Uh, awesome dude. Um, you know, uh, like I said, probably many times through the podcast, it was it was a total pleasure to play with him, to be his teammate, and learn from him. And uh, to reconnect with him was was just great. Um, Andre, I hope you you enjoyed it too. Oh uh, yeah, an as, interesting as a, guy. As, yeah. as a basketball fan who played through the '90s, which I I call the romantic time of basketball. <laughs> basketball. <laughs> yeah, we uh, guys our age always say that. That is yeah. true. Yeah. Well, that's that's the basketball that we watched growing up. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. So it's probably that's what we stayed up for. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Watching it three four in the morning. So. Uh, was that was that was great. Um, hope you guys you guys enjoyed it. Um, if you want, you guys can follow uh, Jim on 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 Twitter. Uh, you can find him at uh, hold on one second. Jim Jackson four one nine is 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 his handle. So um, you know definitely uh, you can you can follow him there. He's uh, working for the Foxness Sports One. Uh, maybe for those of you who who see the channel, can see him um, doing the end uh, the basketball anal- analysis there. Um, but anyways, uh, we'll be back hopefully sooner than later. Um, check us out. Andre, where can people find us? Uh, so, uh, the podcast is at the detailspodcast.com. That's the website. And we're also in iTunes. So if you can leave us a review there, that'd be awesome. That and, would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andre, you are on Twitter. Oh yeah. I'm, uh, at atomic XX. Awesome, Just, Nick, awesome, yeah. awesome handle. Awesome. Um, shut up. All right. <laughs> and you <laughs> at are at uh, yeah. <laughs> on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Snapchat. That's where it's at nowadays. Although I haven't posted nothing in a while, but I'll I'll try to be yeah. more fun. Snapchatter. Um, <laughs> anyways, until next time. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>